welcome to How We Win. All over the country, people are doing extraordinary things. We don't agonize, we organize. We've won some battles, but we still have more to do. On today's show, we talk about the recent SCOTUS decision on abortion rights and what one Democratic governor is doing about it. Mark Meadows' January 6th text threads and filibuster reform? Question mark, question mark, question mark. (laughs) (laughs) Also joining us for our interview is the first openly LGBTQ Native American representative in Congress, Sharice Davids. All of that, plus our reasons for hope. I'm Steve Pearson. And I'm Mariah Craven. And And this this is How How We We Win. Welcome back, Mariah. We missed you last week. Oh, I just loved hearing you and Melinda do the podcast. <laughs> it was so great and adorable and informative. Um, she did amazing, as I knew she would. And then, you know, I happened to see that you promoted the podcast using an incredibly glamorous photo of her. She's stunning to begin with, and this took it up a notch. And I was like, ah, I got to step my photo game up now. Well, it was also, that was from uh, a CNN Heroes thing that we went to a few years ago. And um, so it. I thought the backdrop was appropriate. But also, you know, on Facebook, I post political stuff, of course, and podcast mm-hmm. stuff. And, and I get, you know, some engagement. But then when you post family stuff and pictures, then it blows up. So I kind of, com- it was a Melinda's dirty trick. Photo. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Everything blows up. I love it. Um, no, but that was fantastic. And I, and I loved listening to y'all. And thank you, Melinda, for doing an incredible job of filling in. Yeah, thanks, Melinda. Um, before we get started with the news, um, of course, big news going on right now. We just want to send out our our love to everyone in the Midwest, in Kentucky, who has been affected by these tornadoes. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just a jaw-dropping level of destruction. And um, I know... Incomprehensible. Yeah, yeah. it really is. And I know uh, Biden is heading over there as we're recording this to um, survey. And But um, not much to say about it other than, you know, we're thinking about you. And, uh, and maybe if our listeners would like to, they can look up places where they can donate or, or help out. Yeah, lots lots of funds uh, out there because so many people need so much help. And it just it's just heartbreaking to begin with, but you know, at this time of year, yeah. um it's it's particularly awful. And yes, we're thinking about the folks in the Midwest, particularly in Kentucky, which was hit really hard. Yeah. And uh, it has been a, a week, again, it, it continues to be a mixed week of news, which I guess is a good thing because, uh, you know, when the former guy was in office, every week was just horrible news after horrible news. And we still have horrible news, but we also have good news mixed in with it. So that's better. Yeah, like there's been this big debate this week about the, the Sex and the City reboot. And whether <laughs> Carrie and the, I won't give any spoilers, but the, the, the debate is hot over this very inconsequential thing <laughs> and a fictional TV show 
And there's something that feels kind of good about that. Not exactly the news that I was referring to, but yeah, I hear what you're saying. And also, do you think Peloton got a raw deal? I don't know. We can discuss that on another show. (laughs) They're making the best of it. But so in all the fun stuff, there is also still some pretty horrifying things happening. And that was the the first thing that you wanted to talk about is the confluence of two of our biggest live wire issues that our, our country is deeply divided on, and that's abortion and gun rights. That's right. Yeah. Um, the Supreme Court of the United States upheld Texas's uh, law. Um, Boo. Which, yeah. Um, which is... Boo those people. Boo those people. It's it's so, uh, you know, the commitment that Republicans have had to remaking this court has is really paying off for them in the most horrible way. And it's an outrageous uh, decision allowing this Texas abortion ban to remain in place. But uh, I want to celebrate this state, California's Governor Gavin Newsom, mm-hmm. who did the kind of bold action I think a lot of uh, us Democrats are looking for. And that's like, okay, you're going to put this really stupid, sketchy law on the books that allows people to cir- circumvent the federal courts and uh, and have citizens sue abortion providers and do that. I'll do the same thing here in the state, but with gun manufacturers uh, and people who are manufacturing assault weapons and ghost guns and parts. Yeah. As the kids say, we love a strategic king and <laughs> he's trying to he's trying to flip this on the Supreme Court, which is like this is the most out of touch Supreme Court we've had in a very long time. Um, the people want reasonable access to abortion. The people want reasonable common sense gun laws. Right. Um, and uh, instead of giving the people what they want, they are giving the conservatives what they've been angling for for a long time. But I like the strategy. Hit them, hit them with their own. I love the tools. strategy. It has the support of the legislature. Uh, and, and so there will be uh, a California law on the books. And um, man, I would personally love to sue a gun manufacturer that, you know, grab my 10,000 bucks for that. That sounds like a good good project for the new year. But um, likely uh, this is more of a statement that will provide more scrutiny and challenge to this law than it will actually be something that becomes a new precedent, if that makes sense. It, it does make sense. <laughs> Did anyone there's listening part, understand what I was saying? There's a part of me that's like, yes, more frivolous lawsuits. Let's tie it yeah. up. But it's so ridiculous. Well, and, I mean, at least they're fighting back. You know, it's yeah. like, okay, you're going to yeah. put this shitty law on the books, then I'm going to use it to fight uh, egregious gun laws. So, um, yeah. You know who we don't stand? Mark Meadows. <laughs> we don't what, stand. <laughs> what a what a wuss. Ooh, that's a that's a good word to describe him. He's a, a guilty was. Imagine being so guilty that uh, and realizing that you're in so much legal trouble that you started cooperating. You wrote a right. book that had a lot of stuff in it, and then all of a sudden are willing to face uh, indictment for contempt of Congress. 
because you know that you are so wrapped up in this and so guilty that you have no other choice. And and the reason why uh, – the obvious reason to me why Mark Meadows, former guy's chief of staff um, who was subpoenaed by the January 6th commission and recently had all of his texts outed uh, during the hearing yesterday, um, which we'll get to. But the reason why he is – uh, choosing now not to cooperate is clearly because he's hoping to tie up legal battles. Um, he sued the commission, uh, sued Nancy Pelosi, and is hoping to tie this up until the midterms, which, you know, in his mind, maybe Republicans will take back leadership in Congress. And then he'll have friendlier people handling this and, and it'll all go away. I mean, maybe that's part of the strategy, but I, I, you know, I don't, I, I think I got to wonder what kind of conversations he had between cooperating and shutting down and who he was having those conversations with. I think we can make a pretty safe assumption that he, like Trump spoke to him at some point about yeah. what he was going to share and, and testify to. He was mad about um, the book too. Trump was. Right. And, and yeah, and he's going to and he has a book coming out. So, I would ask what was he promised or what was he threatened with? Hmm. Um and maybe all it is is let me drag this out until maybe Republicans will take back the house in the midterms and and like you said and then maybe I'll I'll get a better deal out of this but I don't know. Well, I'm a little more I mean, cynical than that. It's uh, uh, you know, I think it's just an act of desperation. Um, and I hope that we'll have a swift response from the Justice Department now that mm-hmm. uh, and that he will be indicted. But um, the the texts that were released yesterday as part of the hearings. Worse, and, and I'm sure most everyone listening to this has already heard some of these texts, but they're mm-hmm. really, really stunning, including three Fox News anchors who were basically begging Meadows to get Trump onto TV to tell everyone to stand down, that this was horrible for the legacy, that it had gone too far, that it was scary. And Donald Trump Jr. also, like, I guess he doesn't have his dad's number. He's got to get through Meadows to get to it. <laughs> To get to it was, him. Yeah, that was so bizarre that it, Trump Jr. and it, it is like literally the first thing that he's ever that I've ever heard or seen him do that I'm like, oh yeah, that that was the right thing to do. Literally <laughs> the and and he can't he can't get hold of his dad or I mean, like Ivanka and and so he's got to go through the same you know, mechanism that everybody else is going through. But what's particularly crazy making is that, you know, folks like Laura Ingram are texting Mark Meadows, like, you got to, you got to get the president to call these people up. And she was one of the people who ramped all these people up to begin with, and then went on the air that night and said, oh, you know, Antifa's in the crowd. Right. Riling everyone up. And yet in private, you know, Antifa is not going to listen to to Trump. <laughs> That's right. So, you know, was it Antifa or was it the people who would listen to Trump that were that were doing the insurrection, Ingram? 
lies and hypocrisy on full display for all the world to see. Be interesting to hear any response from these Fox News anchors. Um, but uh, I'm not holding out hope that that they care or any of their listeners really care either because it is it is such a cult and they are so inundated with all of this all of these lies that um you know something as glaring and obvious as this like look at what she said look at what she did um it's it's just i don't think it's going to have an impact on on people well um the last thing that we want to mention uh, before we move on uh, to an amazing interview with Representative Sharice Davids, I'm excited for everyone to hear that. We finally did it. We have filibuster reform that happened, a carve out in the filibuster for raising the debt ceiling. <laughs> <laughs> it happened for raising the debt ceiling. If but only we could get one for voting rights. Which uh, I saw reporting this morning that Joe Manchin has reaffirmed that he would be in favor of a carve out of the filibuster for voting rights. So is wow, this is I this that? Yeah. That's good news. So is I this mean, is this could this be done? I don't know, but I think we need to keep calling our representatives and say absolutely, please, please, please do this right now. I mean, it's there's so many issues that are are important and um, and are you know life and death and affect people's lives in a very meaningful way. But right now, it's voting rights. I mean, we're we're not going to be able to really take care of people and take care of this country and take care of our environment and the world if the Republicans' attack on our democracy um, is allowed to continue. Um, so. Fingers crossed. This is a big step. I mean, it sets a precedent that the um, any senator in in the Senate right now cannot ignore in terms mm -hmm. of being able to carve out exceptions to the filibuster. I guess until we get full reform, we'll we'll take some individual carve outs. Yeah. Well, it would be nice to just get rid of the filibuster. Obviously, that's my preference. Pass the voting rights legislation. Pass DC statehood. Really become closer to a representational government uh, than we are because we're pretty far from that right now. But um, no matter what the obstacles are, we can hem and haw about this all we want, but the, we don't really have a choice. We're still going to keep working. We're still going to keep contacting voters and doing everything we can to win these elections. So, Yeah, winning, winning in the midterms, holding on to the majority in the House, maybe picking up some Senate seats. Um, we're in a little bit of a race against time here, right. but anything is possible. We're living in a world right now where anything could happen. So it's true. Let's get to work. It's true. I don't. I don't want to look at past precedent either because we are in unprecedented times. Anything really is are. possible. We really are. Um, rest up and 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 then get to work. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. That's the theme for for the rest of this the short rest of this year. Uh, let's talk about this week's Hero of the Week. My Hero of the Week is this rapper, Logic, uh, who came out with this song, really powerful music video that went with it in, in 2017. And the song was called 1-800-273-8255. And um, that is the number for the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline. And a new study that's come out found that the song saved approximately 245 lives wow. and that 
during the the weeks that it was on the charts, there was a significant increase in calls to the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline. So uh, talk about you know, having a platform and doing something incredible with it. Uh, that's what Logic did back in 2017. And, you know, he talked a little bit about why he wrote the song. And he said it was because when he was on tour, he would meet fans. And so many of them would say, your music saved my life. Mm -hmm. And he took that and really made a, you know, a concrete song about that. So I would encourage people to um, watch the video, listen to the song, and if you need help, please call 1-800-273-8255. You and Melinda had a really important talk last week about mental health, and you know this is proof that we can all do something uh, to help people who are out there struggling. Thank you for for that. I I hadn't heard about that and what that literally saving lives. That's that's what heroes do. What a perfect hero of the mm -hmm. week. All right, let's talk about this week's to do list. Again, we're it feels like we're in the middle of our end of year pledge drive, <laughs> <laughs> but um, you know, consider uh, a gift to Swing Left. Go on to swingleft.org. Uh, if you haven't signed up to volunteer there, please do. Um, but consider a donation here at the end of the year. You can do it for yourself. You can do it on behalf of a loved one. Um, you can do it on behalf of someone that you don't care for. Uh, it doesn't matter. Uh, but <laughs> every little bit helps keep Spite our work donations. going. <laughs> Spite donations. Yeah. Um, you know what? This note in, in, in here says, give the gift of Swing Left. And I think it, it's meant to say, give a gift to Swing Left. But when you think about it, if you make a donation, you are ensuring that Swing Left is there for everybody else. So you truly are giving the gift of Swing Left. That's right. This holiday season, give the gift of Swing Left. <laughs> um, <laughs> all right. So uh, Mariah and I are going to give the gift of our reasons for hope right after this interview with Representative Sharice David. So stick around after the interview for that. Sharice Davids has represented Kansas's third congressional district since 2019, when she became one of the first two Native American women ever sworn into Congress and the first openly LGBTQ Native American in Congress. Her path to service is a fascinating one. She was an attorney, has worked in economic and community development on Native American reservations, and she served in the White House Fellowship Program under President Obama. She's also been a professional mixed martial artist, uh, which is really what I want to spend the time talking to you about, but uh, I guess we don't have time to get too deep into that. But Congressmember Davids, thank you for taking the time to talk to us. Glad we're getting a chance to do this today. Yeah. Um, Let's just start. I want to know how you decided to run for Congress and, and what was that first campaign like? Um, it was definitely interesting. I think the further away from the initial decision to run for Congress and then that first campaign, the further away from that experience I get. Um, the more wild it seems to me that <laughs> I decided to do that. Um, and I say that partly because you know, I, th I was, I think 
there were so many of us in 2018 who ran, who were really, you know, we just saw that there was a, a huge need for, I, I often call it a resetting of expectations mm-hmm. of who runs for office, of how we support people running, of who we actually end up electing. And, um, you know, I, I, I think there, there was that piece of it. And then there was the piece of literally just seeing that the person who was representing the Kansas third did not represent our district well. Um, and I don't just mean um, in his votes, I mean, in his failure to come home and engage with the community. And, um, and also he, he came in as a moderate and really took a hard turn to the right when former President Trump was, uh, was running and got elected. And um, there were a lot of us who felt that way. And I had actually asked other people to run, um, other women. There were no women in the race at the time when I was seriously contemplating running. And uh, the first thing I thought to do was ask other women if they would run. And then I realized uh, after multiple people said they weren't interested in, in running for Congress that uh, if I was going to be asking other people to think about ways to address the issue that maybe I should consider if I can be part of, part of addressing that that issue. And so I decided to get into the race. Um, We talked about your past and now we want to talk about upcoming stuff. Uh, President Biden recently came to Kansas City to talk about Mm. the new infrastructure law. Uh, can you talk? Yeah. <laughs> <Fist> <laughs> can you pump. talk about? Who can't see us. I'm I doing know. the fist, fist pump here. Like, yeah. <laughs> uh, I know that was very exciting for the folks in your area. Can you talk a little bit about um, yeah, yeah. the key ways that people will benefit from this package? Yeah. So there's a couple of things. I mean, first of all, I feel like it's helpful to give a little bit of context about why I get so excited about infrastructure. Um, I did. I got the chance to spend a year uh, as a White House fellow mm-hmm. at the end of the Obama administration and the beginning of the previous administration, wow. um, of the Trump administration. And I, um, I spent my day-to-day at the Department of Transportation. Mm-hmm. And prior to my White House fellowship, I really hadn't spent a ton of time thinking about infrastructure. I think like a lot of people... I only thought about it when things went wrong, which I think Mm -hmm. is kind of pretty usual, you know, Uh, is the water running? um, Is the toilet working? Uh, You know, are you hitting potholes and those kinds of things? And so I think that I think of myself as this uh, born again transportation enthusiast um, (laughs) after that experience. And I just I got to see that like infrastructure, transportation and infrastructure, like this stuff touches every aspect of our lives. Like every single thing from how we get to where we need to go, whether that's jobs, you know, uh, education, uh, healthcare, places of, um, you know, work or worship or, uh, or recreation. And, um, so there's that piece of it. And then it just so happens that the Kansas third is literally one of the, like most vital areas uh, when it comes to transportation infrastructure in the country. And so when we look at the amount of uh, funding that's going to be going into all manner of, of programs, whether it's our highway programs, uh, we're going to get new electric buses um, for our regional transit system. Um, we're going to have funding to address some of the railroad um, 
you know, issues and things that we're going to need. We need, um, we need to be thinking about wastewater issues, drinking water issues. Um, you know, we, we don't even know how, like what, what's the level of lead pipe replacement that we need to do. And so Mm -hmm. there's going to be monies there to help address that. So it's going to have a significant impact. And then, and then big picture, all of those things are going to work together to hopefully address some of the resilience, sustainability, and um, issues that we need to be thinking about um, at the forefront as we, you know, try to tackle climate change issues that we're facing. Because the Kansas City metro area is like one of the top five for like potential damage and mm. um, and negative consequences of, of climate change. Well, talking about climate change and so many other things, the second part of uh, Biden's Build Back Better agenda, the reconciliation package, is um, well, I've been saying that it would get passed by the holidays. So um, am I going to be wrong for the first time? What's, can you give us the inside scoop on how that's going? Oh, man, I thought you guys were going to give me the inside scoop. <laughs> I, I was like, who are you talking to? Um, <laughs> Talking so, to my wife and my dog, yeah. but we're all very confident. Um, you know, i i try not I try not to read the read the tea leaves on the um, on on what the Senate is going to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know, I have been like I've been pretty vocal about the stuff that's um, that that's in the Build Back Better uh, that that I think no matter what the Senate does, they, they need to really include and, and keep those things in there. You know, the prescription drug uh, provisions, because um, I think we all know people, if not ourselves, who have been impacted by the high prices of prescription drugs. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and then particularly when you're talking about things like insulin, um, yeah. you know, there's a cap uh, in there at $35 a month for folks, um, out-of-pocket expenses for seniors at $2,000 a year. You know, these are the kinds of things that can literally put people in a position where they're having to decide between like eating food and taking life-saving medications. So those kinds of things absolutely need to need to be included. Uh, Kansas, unfortunately, has not expanded uh, Medicaid yet. And right now we've got it's somewhere in the neighborhood neighborhood of uh, like 160,000 Kansans who if we had expanded Medicaid, would have access to, to healthcare. And um, so there's some subsidies in Build Back Better to help address that, that, gap of, um, that gap of people. And then the child tax credit, you know, seeing that extended for another, at least another year um, is I think gonna be vital, at least from the thousands of people that um, have reached out to our office and that we know are, are getting uh, that I mean, it's a, it's literally a monthly tax cut that's going straight into people's bank account um, or, you know, by check if they're not using the direct deposit, which um, is a, a lot of people, actually. And so I think the case is pretty clear for the stuff that absolutely needs to stay in there and for the Senate to vote on this stuff. And um, in some ways, I feel like a kind of a broken record over the last... Um, I'll bet. Um, since, I, since I started this job of um, asking the Senate to please vote on bills that we have passed out of the house. Um, What I appreciate about the most about what you just said is that you are hearing from constituents um, when people call, it makes a difference. And it's sort of a a drumbeat that we've been um, saying for for a couple of years now, just assuring people Mm -hmm. 
make those calls because there is somebody listening. Mm -hmm. One thing I actually think is good for people to, um, to know is that it's good to call and, and make your voice heard, um, whether you agree or disagree. Mm. Uh, because sometimes, um, I do think sometimes people will feel like it doesn't serve any purpose if it's, if they see a legislator. And I also think that this should be happening at the state level as well. You know, reach out to your state house and, and Senate, um, folks or assembly or, Mm -hmm. you know, we, different states have different things, but, um, because it can be, it can be helpful to be able to say, you know, that there's people in this district who are benefiting from the child tax credit. Um, and, or there are people in this district who, uh, who are really concerned about insulin prices, mm-hmm. you know, cause I think sometimes it can be only the people who disagree with, with a position that's being taken that end up being the ones to reach out, um, reach out to their legislators. So it's helpful regardless of where you're at in agreement or disagreement with a legislator to, to let them know. Great point. And fun bonus, you might even get mentioned on a house floor speech. Right. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's absolutely right. Sometimes we end up having really good conversations and we follow up meetings with people if they reach yeah. out about, you know, hey, I'm a small business owner who had the Paycheck Protection Program and the forgiveness process is too complicated. And mm. then, um, you know, or like, it, it's just, it's so interesting how, um, how often people will reach out and it's like, Oh wow. Like we didn't know this very specific thing was happening, but then tons of people are actually experiencing it. So. Oh, that's amazing. And it's, I guess Kate, like reach out, reach out. Yeah. Reach out. Reach out. <laughs> um, you are our last elected guest of the year. Uh, we're going into 2022 midterms. Uh, how are you feeling about, about your race, about the Democrats chances overall? What's your, what is your prognostication for 2022? Read the tea leaves. Yeah, I love <laughs> prognostication. No, I don't. Um, so at the beginning, Steve had mentioned, we're, we're not going to be able to talk as much about the mixed martial arts uh, <laughs> background as either of us probably would have liked. But I will say that my, I don't know if ethos is the right word, but like approach to life is very much rooted in my practice as a martial artist and my, um, like the learnings that I have from practicing martial arts for so long and the ways that it has impacted my growth as a human. Mm. So when I think about this stuff, um, and this is just for purposes of the like political, you know, like it's a campaign. And in that way, it's kind of like a competition. Mm -hmm. Um, I think about what are the, what's the framework and things that, what are my strengths? What are the things that are harder for me? Mm -hmm. What are the other person's strengths? And what are the things that um, I perceive to be um, areas of weakness or, um, you know, challenges that they have? And I don't tend to spend a ton of time thinking about what if I lose? What if, they're really good at, you know, I, I spend most of my time just thinking I have to focus on the things that I have as strengths. And I really, really think that not just our campaign, um, for, you know, in the third district in Kansas, but Mm. 
um, a lot of my Democratic colleagues, one of our strengths, and and actually you guys are um, a big a big part of this stuff is our ability and willingness to like hit the ground, boots on the ground, mm-hmm. knocking on doors, making phone calls, like doing as much outreach to people as possible to truly make sure that you know we often call ourselves this big tent party, right? And it's like, what does that really mean? Well, what it really means is actually trying to make sure that your campaign, um, the whole political process is as open as possible to as many people as possible. Mm-hmm. So I often say one of the most powerful things about the, the group of us that got elected in 2018 is, um, I mean, it's, it's powerful in terms of representation of, you know, the most diverse class ever in the history of the United States was elected right. in 2018. Right. But the, the consequence of that is that so many of us, the approach that we take is to look around the room and say, who hasn't been here before? Because we might have been, a bunch of us might have been the first people from either our communities or our Mm -hmm. background or whatever Mm -hmm. it is, but we're certainly not going to be the last. And we want to make sure that other people don't feel or experience that, like not being seen, not being heard, being pushed aside, because no one should experience that. And so... When I think about our strengths, that's what we focus on, right? We focus on the engagement, on reaching out to people. And then if I'm doing my job as a legislator, which I know we're getting close to the end with with you guys anyway, I'm about to go back over and, um, uh, you know, get back to work here. But uh, if I'm doing my job as a legislator, if I'm keeping folks updated, if I'm keeping them informed, if I'm listening to people, even if we don't agree on stuff and actually engaging in those conversations, then... We, we are more likely to, to continue the progress that we have already seen. You know, we're going to be able to win, not just because we got more people registered, but because we actually connected with more people. Mm, And um, those are two different things. I think both pieces are necessary. And I know a ton of my colleagues are are working on this stuff, a bunch of the candidates that are out there. Um, And again, that's happening at the state level and the national level. So um, I feel optimistic. Uh, I don't know if you can run for Congress and be in Congress and not be an optimistic person. <laughs> you know, I don't have rose colored glasses. Um, cause I've been like beat up a lot of times. So I know that like, sometimes you get hit a lot, uh, but you just got to keep pushing forward and then figure out, okay, well, how am I going to avoid getting hit as much in the next round? And I think that's what, you know, that's what we've been doing. We've been focusing on keeping our fundamentals on, you know, really playing into our strengths and just like, I'm doing as good a job as I can as a representative, because I think that's probably the most decisive factor in, in all of this. That was amazing. And I know you have a very important vote to go get to. Um, mm-hmm. uh, so just real quick, um, and that was very hopeful. So you kind of answered the question already, but what gives you hope for the coming year? You know, I think a lot about the number of young people that I talk to. Mm -hmm. Um, And I I don't mean the like four-year-olds, although they're pretty cool. And so they're usually (laughs) like make you feel good about about life. But, um, you know, like looking at the number of like like college-age people and high school-age people who are like super engaged and involved um, in – you know, going to rallies, getting people registered to vote, showing up around the issues that are super important to them. Um, I think that 
the thing that is so cool about that and I think is so hopeful about that is that the reason they're doing that is because they see a future for themselves in this country. Mm. And, and they're saying, I know that I'm going to be here when I'm 40, which to them seems like way far. <laughs> and, and I want the world to look like this. And that tells me that they envision themselves in the future, in this country, hopefully thriving because they have had an impact on the policy decisions that we're making right now. I mean, um, that's pretty, that's like pretty amazing. If people who are like 18, 19, 20 can have hope for the future that they're creating right now, then like we absolutely should be having hope for it mm. because we know that people are already working on it. Amazing. Beautifully said. And uh, we're going to have to have you come back and have a conversation focus on MMA mindset. <laughs> That's right. Yes. I would love get to get out the vote strategy. That. that would be super fun. <laughs> I would love to do that. Thank you so much. I know you're super, super busy. Uh, thanks for taking a few minutes to chat with us and, and give us some hope today. Yeah, thank you. And we'll talk to you all soon and happy new year and uh, hope you have a good holiday season. We're back with our, our holiday reasons for hope because we are in the middle of the holiday season now. And, um, mm -hmm. and for me, uh, I'm about to take a little vacation and I'm so excited about that. I haven't gone on a vacation in about six years. And, <laughs> um, wow. and you know, we haven't been able to really travel and do stuff like that because of the coronavirus, obviously. Um, mm -hmm. So I'm really grateful that I'm boosted and um, and that the the vaccine is around. It looks like the you know, Pfizer just released information about their pill to treat the coronavirus and it's showing that mm -hmm. that is effective. And so we're getting a place where, where we can travel and I'm excited to just unplug and be with my family uh, for a couple of weeks here at the end of the year. So that's my reason for hope. Maybe I'm just excited about my vacation, but um, it's given me hope that, that we're able to do that now. Yeah, that's definitely something to be excited about. And I say this as someone who just came back from vacation. Yeah. You have a, a lot to look forward to. Now, I will say that if you want to get rid of your vacation glow as soon as possible, <laughs> um, you know, take your baby to see Santa and then get on a plane alone with him. And like, you know, within a few hours, it's gone. Oof. Oof. <laughs> All right. Sorry. Um, I, I remember but... that. My my daughter's <laughs> 19 now. So that it was a while ago. But I definitely remember some fun airport escapades with my daughter. Oh, something else. But, you know, um, what I'll say that is giving me hope is we took the baby to visit my parents, his grandparents, and he got to spend some one-on-one -on -one time with him, with them. And um, I'm just grateful that we got to do that. And I'll tell you, obviously, everyone's grateful to get together with their family after the last couple of years we've all been through. But it just reminded me of spending time with my own grandparents who are gone and you know that family time with them meant so much and I was you know grateful to hug and hold my parents and have the baby do that with them but um 
gosh, like, you know, getting together is about so much more than just that that time that you spend together. It's just these, you know, threads of love and memory and everything that kind of en envelop us all um, if we're fortunate, and I am. So um grateful to have that experience. It's giving me a lot of hope and recharging me, re-energizing me, um, and, and reminding me of, of good pastimes. So I, I hope that for everyone, either you, you're reminded of good pastimes in the next couple of weeks, or you make some good memories <laughs> that you can hold on to down the road. So Beautiful. It's my reason for hope. Beautiful. Thank you for that. And thank all of you for joining us today. This is how we win. We win when we all get involved. What's your reason for hope? We want to hear from you. Are you going on a vacation? Send us your vacation photos. <laughs> Send us an email. That would be fun. It would be, yeah. Send us an email at podcast at swingleft.org or tweet to us at bluesboysteve and at Mariah underscore Craven. Make sure you subscribe, rate, and review on Apple or wherever you get your pods. Share our show on social media. Check out our page at swingleft.org slash podcast. You can also sign up to volunteer or make a donation while you're there. We always appreciate you being here with us. We'll be back next Wednesday with our last show of the year. See you then.